Well, good morning. morning. I'd like you to close your eyes, and I just want you to listen to these words. I'm going to read from the scriptures. And he said to the disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, or what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They neither storehouse nor barn. Yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If you then are not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil, they neither spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. You can all open your eyes. Some of my favorite words in the scripture. Well, good morning, and and I'm glad to be here today with my, my brothers and sisters. May God's peace rest in your heart, and may it stay with you throughout this week. Um, whether you're here online or in person, I, I just pray that the peace of God would, would come upon you. If we've not met before, my name is Ken, and I'm a recovering worrier. Um, <laughs> because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, it's going very well. I've had a lot of recovery in that area. Uh, worry does not dominate my life like it, it once did. I mentioned last week that family was the family business in the Schultz house. It was our family business. My, my grandma Estelle was the CFO, the certified fear officer. It, it was part of how she loved people to show them how concerned she was for them by worrying for them. She, she taught us how to worry about things I didn't even know existed, like being perspired. Does anybody know what being perspired is? It's when you're playing really hard outside and you're all hot and sweaty and, 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 and then you go out in the cold. I, I guess the fear was you'd get sick. I, I don't know if that's true. And she, she worried whether we ate something and went swimming and it was too soon like for 30 minutes. And that one's not true. I, I, I checked the internet. And, <laughs> and you know, um, but, but worry was the way she showed us her, her love and concern, but it was also kind of obsessive. She had this tragic, sad face, and I'm, you know, I'm so, because she was always worried when, when you saw her. You know, my father grew up in that worried kind of environment. He coined, coined another term for it. He called it catastrophizing, and he's famous for doing that. It's constantly thinking about everything that could possibly go wrong. Now, some of you catastrophizers are thinking, well, that's just practical. This world's dangerous, and you just need to be cautious. But our worry often turns obsessive about things we can't control. You know, my father, um, and when I was growing up as a young kid, it was during the Cold World, and he became an activist against nuclear armament and nuclear power plants. And by the time I was six, I was aware of how many times our government and the Russian government could blow us up. And um, (laughs) 
and also how, how the nuclear power plant could fail and, and, and pollute the whole Chicago area. And, you know, these were frequent rants my father would go through at the dinner table um, with all his scientific facts of nuclear half-lives. Half -lives. And he was also an environmentalist, and he would talk about, you know, how we were quickly destroying our world and, and how the world was going to end. So I, I grew up kind of with an impending sense of doom you know, from hearing all that, all that catastrophizing. And, and you know, with all that uh, talk of death and destruction, I realized really young that I would die. So I asked my father, what happens when we die? And he told me that we became worm food, which didn't help my fears at all. Um, uh, <laughs> I was an anxious little kid uh, who compulsively worried about a lot of ca catastrophic things that could happen. You know, thankfully, my mom told me about God. And she said, Kenny, if you're good, you're going to heaven. And if you're bad, you're going to hell. And I thought I got a shot at least. And, 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 and since she was Catholic, I, I decided to become a serious Catholic in fourth grade, which helped somewhat, but I became obsessively worried about being good because you had to be good to get to heaven. And for me, giving the sign of the cross was not so much about honoring God as it was about avoiding catastrophe. It was kind of like a, that super, a superstitious thing you did it's kind of like that rhyme, you know, as kids that we used to say, don't step on your back or you'll break your mother's, or don't step on a crack or you'll make, break your mother's back. We said weird things back in the day, kids. Um, <laughs> we, we said that as we were out playing, but it was kind of a superstitious. We didn't step on cracks. We didn't want to hurt our moms. So for me, kneeling, bowing, signs, even going to church was like that phrase. It was to avoid the catastrophe. Religion, my religion didn't really help me very much. I was still very anxious constantly, and I, I lived in a, a constant fear of death. And then I learned, as I got older, how to medicate my anxiety with food and with entertainment and sex and later success in the world. But still, there was always this foreboding, abiding sense of catastrophe that I had. At 28, I, I died. I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And my greatest fear, death, has been gone since that point. I don't worry about it. I had an abiding peace for the first time in my life. I found, though, that I still sometimes battled anxious thoughts about my own success in life and losing the love of people. But I do find the closer I get to Jesus and the more I trust and I surrender to Jesus, the more that that has gone away as well. It's, it's amazing to me when... Uh, a few years back, I remember saying, that I'm not anxious anymore. It, it, you know, not like I once was. Uh, there was a total freedom. Uh, I, I bet I'm not the only one who grew up in a home ruled by anxious thoughts. Anybody else? Okay. <laughs> um, uh, it's anxiety is part of the fabric of American life. The, the cost of mental health services last year in the U.S. was $225 billion. Think about that. And that's a 55% increase from 2011. You know, prescription medications alone are a $40 billion a year industry. But think about all that spending. Now think about all the ways we're medicating ourselves uh, for our anxieties with illegal drugs and, and alcohol and, and sex and entertainment. We are a nation of people that are trying to escape our anxieties, our anxious thoughts. The reality is we can all struggle with anxious thoughts at times. Have you ever worried about something that hasn't happened yet? 
Okay. Have you ever had an argument with somebody in your head only to realize the problem you thought was a problem is not really a problem and you create a problem by having that argument in your head? That's worry. Have you ever um, let worry limit your life, maybe kept you from seeking a job promotion or getting an education or, or seeing a doctor or building a relationship or maybe getting out of a bad relationship? Have you ever lost sleep worrying? Anybody lost sleep worrying? Um, has that ever made you less productive? Have you ever found yourself overindulging in food, alcohol, or other substances to um, cope with stress? I think that that's something we all can do. Have you ever binged and, and watched Netflix or Hulu just to quiet your mind and distract yourself from your consuming thoughts? Our, our, our catastrophizing or worrying is something we can even do when we're not realizing we're doing it. We don't recognize that we're doing it. It's because we are, we've become so distracted by our medications, we're distracted away from our feelings. But the truth is that anxiety is still affecting us, and in many cases, it is actually killing us. Many of us overwork and exhaust ourselves because of our anxiety. Anxiety is a killer. It's estimated that 120,000 people a year die just from work-related stress. Uh, many uh, uh, of the diseases that plague us as a people, like diabetes, obesity, heart disease, are directly due to the stress because of all of our anxiety. See, while that's true, we have the answer. Fear and anxiety is a major theme of the Bible we read. O over 300 times, God directly tells us not to be afraid. Why does he do that? Because he knows that our fears and our worries can consume us and that they can eventually cost us our lives and potentially cost us our eternities. Here's an example. My father is now 80. Nuclear war and nuclear disaster has not taken him out. But his catastrophizing worry about many things that have never happened has taken away his health, his joy, and many of his relationships, and ultimately his peace. Beloved, Jesus came to set us free from anxiety, worry, and catastrophizing. But we need to listen to him. So let's today look carefully at his word that I read earlier. Verse 22, it says, He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, or what you will put on. Notice first that Jesus said this to his disciples. If we want to be a disciple, it's critical that we learn to live without fear controlling us. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. When we recognize that we are anxious about something, we, we need to turn to Jesus. Jesus said, do not fear, come follow me. It's, it's, it's a repentance. Jesus said, do not be anxious about your life. Now, friends, that's a really big category, isn't it? Do not be anxious about your life. Wait, wait, Jesus, you don't understand. There's a war in Ukraine. Ken, your life. Jesus, my father was just diagnosed with liver cancer. Ken, your life. My daughter's traveling all over the world. She's stuck in Morocco right now. Ken, your life. Jesus, I'm 60 pounds overweight, and I'm having trouble walking. Ken, your life. 
but Jesus, my parents are in their 80s, and I'm the only child, and I got to take care of their needs. I'm responsible. Ken, your life. Jesus, gas is over $5 a gallon. Ken, your life. Our economy's tanking. Ken, your life. The church has, isn't going to make the budget this month. Ken, your life. It, it's all included, right? Ken, do not be anxious about your life. And he's saying that to each of you. Our anxieties will try to justify the reasons why we should worry. Sometimes they're like a voice screaming at us in our heads. And other times, they're the voices of our spouses and of our friends and of media outlets and politicians who constantly are speaking to us about why we should be anxious. It's only logical that you'd be anxious, given what's going on. But what does Jesus tell you? I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. See, anxiety is first a question of who's in authority over you. Who do you trust and listen to most? Is it grandma, Fox News, MSNBC, or Jesus? Is it your nervous Nelly coworker and friends or Jesus? You know, often there have been men that have come to me when they're stressed and troubled and angry. A lot of times men get angry when they're, when they're afraid. And, and I, I've asked them, what do you listen to on the way to work? And you know what the answer usually was? Well, Rush, Limbaugh, back when he was alive, Hannity, Ben Shapiro, that kind of thing. And I said, I have a suggestion for you. Take a fast. Don't listen to that for two weeks. Instead, listen to scripture, sermons, and praise songs. And you know what? In every case, when they come back, their life is completely changed. They're, they're at peace. All that anxiety, all that stress is gone. The same is true if you're listening all day in your home to media outlets and talk shows and political commentary. Friends, fast from it. Listen to the words of Jesus instead. But you might be actually saying, but I need to know what's going on in the world. Well, maybe it's more important that you know the one who makes things go on in the world. Worry is actually false prophecy. How, how accurate are the prophets that you listen to? In biblical times, if you were a prophet and your predictions did not come true, you would get fired or killed. As a prophet, are you really that accurate? Do all your worries come true? I found my grandma's not so accurate. My dad's not so accurate. Fox News is not so accurate. MSNBC is not so accurate. People around us are prognosticating doom all the time, and they're not that accurate. You know, I'm always amused when I plan an event here at church because there's always somebody on a Monday wanting to cancel it when the event is on Saturday because of some forecast that a weatherman made. Folks, weathermen are not that accurate. In over 20 years of ministry, I've only had to cancel one outdoor event because of weather. In 20 years, hundreds of events. You, just like the weatherman, are, are not that accurate. So you need to fire yourself as a prophet and start listening more to the one who creates the weather and says, don't worry about your life. Again, big category, because he has big authority. It's a big category because he has big authority. He's an even bigger authority to you than newscasters, than doctors, than lawyers, than scientists, than po political leaders, or your mother-in-law. 
Jesus says, I tell you, do not be anxious. You know, do you realize that many of the prophets we choose to listen to want to make us anxious so they can control us, control our behavior? And they tell us things in really loud and scary ways, like everything's a catastrophe. Jesus does not. He's much more compassionate. He's like a friend who has authority. It's not, do not be afraid. That would be scary, right? Jesus is saying simply, do not worry. Do not be anxious about your life because I've got it under control. I'm your friend. Trust me. Now, a friend telling someone not to be afraid doesn't necessarily work unless you have the authority and the ability to deal with the problem. For example, if I was out camping with my son Cody when he was a little boy and a great thunderstorm came up, I could say as his father, do not be afraid. And that would provide him comfort for for a little while because he figured we'd both die together. But his fears would not be gone because he knows that I don't truly have the authority to deal with the bad weather. Jesus does. He proved that to his disciples. In a huge storm, he stopped the winds and the waves with the word. Psalm 8 says he created the universe with his fingertips. He is the alpha and the omega. He knows the end from the beginning. Jesus has the authority to tell you not to be anxious and not to worry. And when we feel anxious, it's important to ask ourselves a question. What is our faith in right now? What am I listening to? Our emotions, someone else's emotions, our predictions, our circumstances, our intellect. Am I listening to those things or am I listening to Jesus? Jesus says, do not be anxious with your life. In the Greek, there are three words that Jesus uses for life. There is bios, which is the quantity or span of life. There's psyche. It looks like psyche. That's not the Greek pronunciation. But it represents our values in relationship to us being a person or a soul. It's the same word the Bible uses for soul throughout. Um, and, and the third is one called zoe, which is a perfectly contented life, which is at peace and at joy forever. When Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly, he uses the word zoe. Um, but Jesus here uses the word psych. And he is saying our life is more than the quantity or bias. Bias represents the quantity of life. It's the quality of life of our relationship to God. In the previous passage, Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The word life here is the word zoe. So our, our life, our eternity is not in the abundance of our possessions. And then later Jesus told a par- in that parable, he, he, or later he told the parable about a, a man who was anxious and he tried to make his life all about his possessions in anxious toil. And it was told that his soul was demanded, which was the word psych uh, again, was demanded from him. Why? because he was not rich towards God. He was all about his wants and his needs. Jesus then tells us here not to be anxious about our life, our souls. And then he mentions two categories, what we eat and our bodies. Why? I think because what we eat represents our needs, 
And our body represents our desires or our wants. Our, our anxiety is created by our wants. It's all about the want. If, if, if I want a better job and I don't get it, it, it creates anxiety. If I, I want somebody to love me and they don't, it can create anxiety. If I want my children to obey me and they don't, it can create anxiety. If I want to be financially secure and I have more month than money, it creates anxiety. If I want to be beautiful and healthy and I'm not, it can create anxiety. Fear is also about what we don't want in life. I've got cancer, so I become anxious because I don't want it. I don't want anything bad to happen to my kids, so I become anxious. I don't want others to become more successful, which makes me anxious. Anxiety is all about that want for temporal things. Our wants are what control our lives. Wants also are there for beauty and for significance. Disciples are not to be like this man in the parable, wanting material things and losing their soul. Jesus said, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits himself or his soul? Mark 8, 36. Jesus is teaching his disciples not to be distracted from true life by temporal things. Our lives are not about what we eat, our needs, our bodies, our wants, our comforts, our clothes, those things that we put on to gain the glory from men. We can become tempted by our wants to be anxious and compromise our souls. To the disciple Jesus was preaching to, food was not so readily available as it is today. And their lives were not always going to be comfortable. They would often be hated by men. They would not see any glory in this life. And so Jesus is preparing them. Jesus said, those things are not your life. They're not your psych. Those things are not who you are. Today, food is ready, readily available in our country. But we still have a lot of anxiety about it. In my family, we'd finish one meal. We'd hardly finish it, and we'd be talking about the next meal. Uh, today, we have what are called foodies. They live their lives uh, about what they eat. They even take pictures of what they eat and try to post it on social media, which, which makes me very anxious when I'm hangry. Um, now, we all need food to live, right? But ask yourselves, do you live to eat or eat to live? If you live to eat, there will be a lot of anxious toil around your food. Is it fresh? Is it, is it gluten-free? Is it supersized? Is it farm fresh? Is it free-range? Is it non-GMO? Is it paired right? Is it plated correctly? See, for many of us today, food is not about need but want. Jesus says your eternal soul is more important than food. Who, who do you listen to more, Jesus or the Food Channel? The life of your soul and the souls of others are more important than what we consume. Jesus is pro-life. He's pro the life of souls rather than the wants of our temporal bodies. Pro the life of our soul. How anxious are you about what you wear? Jesus was telling this to the people in the first century who might have had one cloak or two cloaks if they were a little wealthier. I, how, how many of you have a, a closet full of clothing? 
How many of you have more stored somewhere else? Often it's for us, it's not about a need for warmth, but it's a want for style and, and for status. If, if your life is about your clothes and what you wear and, and your status, you will be anxious. Jesus is saying life is more than want for clothes and things that make us feel important and, and have status. To, to Jesus, do you think it matters more that we are well-dressed in life or that we care for those around us, those souls that he loves? Life is more than our bodies. You know, many of us get anxious about being too fat or too thin. We're concerned whether we have too much junk in the trunk or too little junk in the trunk. People worry about their lips being too big, and other people worry about their lips being too small. You know, they make social media apps today to distort your features and selfies so that you look better. And, and now some people anxiously don't go out in person anymore because somebody might actually see them without digital makeup. True. I saw a picture of a lady um, yesterday on Facebook that was an old friend, and I thought it was a joke because her face was distorted. Her t face was tiny and her hair was big, and then I realized she wanted it that way. Um, still others distort their bodies with surgery because they're uncomfortable with who they are. Many other anxiously work at trying to perfect their bodies through fanatical diets and, and exercises that consume hours of their lives. And also, we like to pamper our bodies with all kinds of products to make us more comfortable. Others are trying to uh, consume things to, to improve their health, trying, trying to, to secure their bodies from disease. Many of us invest so much of our lives into all kinds of security devices to keep their own lives and their family lives and their bodies safe. As, as a people, we are obsessed with being safe and, and secure. But, but Jesus says your life is more than your body, which is your comfort, your security, and even your health. Many neglect their spiritual life because they're taking care of the body, their needs of status and of health and of security. 1 Timothy 4.8 says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. It holds a promise for the present life and also the life to come. See, as a disciple of Jesus, we have to be more concerned with the life to come. You know, this word anxious in the Greek can mean to promote one's own interest. So anxiety is a promoter of self. It, it makes us work in anxious toil to better ourselves, or it can make us hide in fear thinking we are not enough. In both cases, the focus is self, which is pride, which is in opposition to God. This focus on self is not what makes our anxiety go away. It's actually what creates anxiety when you're focused on yourself. Hunger for temporal things, for the, the, the want for temporal things, does not satisfy you. It does not give you peace. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for those are the ones that should be satisfied. 
Satisfaction and peace comes in life when our, our soul is rich towards God, the giver of life. If we are grateful for the life we've been given, friends, that's one of the things that solves our anxieties. Gratitude or ingratitude is the constant need for something more, which is actually what makes us anxious. The Bible says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take, cannot take anything out of the world. Your life, what you eat, stays behind in the toilet. Your life, if it's your clothing, will be eaten by moss. Your life is not in the ways you attempt to perfect your body with augmented surgery. Those things will stay in the coffin. You get a new body in heaven. All the money you spent stays there. Some of you are thinking, Ken, I, I don't covet those kind of things. I, I, I just have real legitimate needs that I am anxious about. But Jesus has an answer for our needs. He says this, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Wait, wait, Jesus, I'm anxious. Uh, how, how does that help me thinking about a stupid bird? Consider the ravens? What kind of advice is that? Well, what Jesus is doing is he's leading disciples out of their anxious thoughts. Our, our, our first step is to start thinking about something else besides our own want and need. Anxiety is compulsive. It fills the mind of the anxious person with their want or need. Trying to resist or argue against our anxiety only amplifies it or makes it worse. Even if our thoughts are irrational, to the anxious person, they seem very real. And our minds will defend our anxieties violently. Instead, what needs to be done is to reframe things. To give them a new reality to think about. Because often the anxious voices in our heads are, I'm alone, no one cares. I do not have enough. I'm not valued. Those are the feelings that are screaming at us. But Jesus does not argue against our feelings. Instead, he declares the truth of the situation by giving them something new to think about, a raven. Jesus commands us to think about ravens. So when you're anxious, I want you to think about a raven instead of being anxious. Let's try it. A raven is a stupid, large, black bird in the crow family. Ravens exist all over the world. They're familiar to every culture. They're not the prettiest of birds. They don't sing any pretty tunes. They're kind of omnivores. They eat just about everything. They're really more like a flying rat or a pig. Around the world, many see them as pests, and they think that they're evil or at least a bad omen because of their coloring and their harsh sounds. I have really nothing good to say about ravens, yet Jesus says God feeds them. He, he provides for them. All they have to do is believe that there's food out there and flap their little raven wings and find it. Anxiety won't help the raven eat. Flapping will. Their needs are a matter of the courage to fly and look. Proverbs 26.13 says, The sluggard says there's a lion in the road, there's a lion in the streets. See, 
Raven's brains do not have a lot of imagination, so they don't imagine all kinds of catastrophes like we do. They just flap their little raven wings and they trust God. Our imagined anxieties make us unproductive, don't they? Sometimes they keep us from finding the provision we need. Ravens are also not choosy. They're grateful for a garbage dump. Then Jesus states a truth in the form of the question to get us to really think. How much more valuable are you than all the birds? We are more valuable to God than all the birds. Not just this pig with wings, the raven, but the proud peacock and the speedy ostrich. In fact, we're more valuable than any creature God created. God's word said that you were made in the very image of God. A raven was made to be a scavenger, and yet God cared for it. You were made to reflect his glory. You have intelligence and imagination. You have opposable thumbs. Look at you. You, you have an imagination that can create things like God. The problem is that you use your super brain to imagine catastrophe when all you need to do is flap and God will provide. A poor raven doesn't have that imagination. He, doesn't, he can't grow a seed in the ground and, and, and then store it up in a barn or have a bank account. It, if you would just imagine God's goodness instead of catastrophe, how much more care will God have for you that is made in his image? If that scavenger raven is not alone, you're not alone. You're cared for by God. If he values ravens, how much more does he value you? Again, God is pro-life. Every creature he created is valuable to him, even that pesky bird. Now, there may be some of you still trying to justify your anxious thoughts. And, and Jesus doesn't argue with us. He asks another question. He asks you how fruitful your anxiety is. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? See, we often try to protect our right to be anxious as if we're doing something of value uh, uh, being anxious. It, it just shows how much I care that I'm working on it and that I'm a responsible person that I worry about all these things. Well, according to Jesus, what is the real fruit of our anxiety? Nothing. You see that? Nothing. We can't even add a single hour to our lives with it. Although we can take away things in our life, we can take away peace, joy, relationships, and our lives, but it adds nothing. Jesus says we can't even add a, a, a single hour to our lives. The, the Bible says this, um, he works all things according to the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1, 11. And in James 4, 3 through 15, it says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. James continues to say, it's arrogant for us to believe we have anywhere near 
that kind of control in our lives to add to our lives. Because make, make, that, that could either be adding height to our lives, depending on, on, on how you interpret that, or, or adding an hour to our lives. Our anxiety is really trying to play God. It, it's, it's trying to control things that, that we can't control and things that we're not meant to control. And so Jesus' next question will point to the real answer to our worries, to have a greater fear of God. Jesus is trying to get you to see God's awesome power compared to your own. Your own powers of mental toil and anguish. He says in verse 26, if you're not able to do such a small thing as that, as give yourself an extra day or an extra hour even, why are you anxious about everything else? Why are you anxious about the rest? See, our answer is to surrender ourselves to a greater fear life is god's business and because of that we should have a holy fear of him to be free from our anxieties and our worries is when we're surrendered to god as god see because anxiety is an illusion of control it is false evidence appearing real god is really in control of everything you know i was having stomach pain the other day and i imagined some way by moving in this position doing this that i could relieve it and you know it, it it didn't work and then i realized you know i can operate a smartphone yet i have no idea how my own digestive system works even though i have used it and abused it every day for 58 years i don't know how this thing works i was guessing i don't even have control over my own bowels now, if you think you do, remember the last time you had the flu or you ate the wrong thing in Mexico? How much control did you have? My, my, my worry can't do something as simple as calm down my own stomach. But it can upset it a lot. Maybe if I prayed to the one who created me in my mother's womb, I might find the answers that would give my heart peace. Jesus says, he can not only meet our needs, but he also meets our wants. He says, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. I, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Consider a lily? Jesus, I grew up in the 60s. That sounds like hippie talk. Consider a lily? Again, Jesus is re trying to reframe an anxious mind to to put their imagination on truth instead of their fears. From the Greek, this word lilies is actually wildflowers, not fancy flowers you buy at a flower shop. I remember in Arizona where I grew up, the, the spring wildflowers in the Superstition Mountains would, would just cover the desert with spectacular color. It, it was simply breathtaking. But they were just simply weeds that popped up when the spring rains hit. God can do something more beautiful with simple weeds growing according to his plan to bring beauty to our world, then all the wealth of Solomon and, and all of his anxious toil and all of the, the anxious toil of his servants. Weeds do not labor or spin in anxious toil to be more than they are. They just trust in the beauty that God gave them. 
And then verse 28 says, But if God so clothes the grass which is live in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? How much more will God clothe you who are made eternally in his image? If he, if he creates glory with such weeds and temporary grass. Friends, if he can put beauty in a dandelion, what can he do with you? Beloved, we were made for glory. We were made for beauty and for significance, but, but sin frustrated our creation, and, 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 and humanity's glory was, was lost or, or marred. And, and many of us are, 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 are working anxiously, trying to perfect ourselves and to reshape ourselves, trying to find that glory again. Instead, we need to stop distorting ourselves with more sin and trust in the one who restores our glory. You know, speaking of the resurrection of our souls to everlasting life, the Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15, 42-43, What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. You know, sin has dishonored us. But it is raised in glory. God will provide for glory for us. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. You know, some may see a glimpse of beauty and honor and glory in this life. There are those that do. But we are not anxiously to work to find those things in temporal things. Jesus is saying that the glory and honor of this world is just temporary. It's, it's thrown the oven like the glorious wildflowers. God can give glory to men for a season in our temporal world, but they also can be thrown like a flower in the oven. Do not covet the glory of men. Jesus says, Oh, you of little faith, God can bring more glory to you with faith the size of a little mustard seed than all the anxious toil and discipline and wealth this world can offer. The disciples, I'm sure, felt small, they felt insignificant in their world. A, a, a small band of uneducated working men. How, how many of you, like me, feel sometimes anxious because your life does not feel big and significant enough? Beloved, do not be anxious or despise the small things of life. A big God and a little faith is still infinite power. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your, your Father knows that you need them. Jesus is reminding his disciples that their life, their eternal souls, is not enhanced by what they eat, by eating well, by drinking well, or their status in life. He says, the nations, and the word nations there is pagans, the unbelievers, they seek after those things. They're no better than animals. They're no better than that grass that's thrown in the oven. oven. It's temporary. They're just fulfilling the flesh, fulfilling their needs for dominance. You're not to be like that. 
You're not to anxiously seek after those things like they do. You're different. You don't earn your value. You don't earn value for your soul. I give you, I gave you value to your soul. Your soul is your life. What's the difference? It's what Jesus said. Did you hear it? Did you hear it? Your father? Jesus does not say, my father. He says, your father. If God is just Jesus' father, yeah, then maybe we can be anxious. But God is claiming you as his son or his daughter. Jesus started this whole thing by saying, I tell you. Are you listening to him? Your father God is perfect. He knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly what you want, and he's good. And, and, and because of that, he sent Jesus to cleanse you of your sins by, by dying on a cross because what you needed most was forgiveness so that your soul, what's most important, was preserved forever. And then Jesus came and walked out of the tomb showing the world that he defeated our, our greatest enemy, the thing people fear the most, which is death, by walking out of the grave three days later. And, and he promised to clothe you with his righteousness, covering your shame, covering the shame of sin forever, defeating the devil. And, and being clothed in him gives you glory. It gives you honor, and it gives you wealth, and it gives you pleasure forevermore. When Jesus says, you of little faith, it's not a put-down, friends, a little faith is all that is needed to make you a son or daughter of God. Jesus says, do not be anxious thinking that you need to be great yourself, for I am great. What the nations do, what the pagans do, is they try to make themselves great. Believe in my greatness instead. Jesus says, instead seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Jesus says we must repent of our anxieties over temporal things and seek the goodness of God's love for you, the love that he wants to give you in his everlasting kingdom that has everything you truly desire, everything you truly want, everything you truly need, everything that gives you glory. Fear not, little flock, crosswinds. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Let us pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you for your word. It's not just a poetry. It's not just some saying to make us feel better. It's truth. The truth of who you are and the, the truth of your love for us. Lord, I pray, Lord, that there's someone today that heard just how much you love them and how you want to meet all of their needs and all of their wants in your kingdom. And Father, I pray that today that they would turn from their fear 
turn from their anxiety, that they would repent, and that they would turn to you, that they would listen to what you say. Your words are life. Your words cast out our fears because your words are a perfect love letter to us. Oh, Father, draw them to you today. Help them to know that their hearts can be at peace, at shalom forever, in a relationship with you, that their soul can be preserved because you are pro-life. You, you love the life you created, and you have done everything to provide for it through your son, Jesus. Oh, Lord, let them come and worship you. Why doesn't everybody stand? If you've not never turned to Jesus in your life, if you've not repented or if you feel you need to repent today from your anxiety and, and pray, that's how to do it. Turn from the kingdom of fear to, to his kingdom and watch your fears go away.